Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This guy says we're pivot. You understand just how we live it. This for me is like rap religion. Hope I'm on beat because we got this guy. When it comes to this, y'all, I can get it hype. When it comes to this, y'all, calm has risen. How you living, huh? Yo, how you living, pivot? Holy shit. Yeah, man. This is you have your own blended cigar. Yes, sir. How do they blend it based on you? Well, they uh, extract my essence. <laughs> and by essence, I mean that um, they extract my seed. Mm-hmm. And um, You have to come in like some sort of tube. Do we, is that where we're going to start this podcast? Yeah, yeah got to start with coming okay, in so tube. I had to circumcise my own situation here. <laughs> um, no, these are the J-Piv Robusto. Yeah, my first line of cigars. And as you know, I love a good cigar. Yes. And I'm very opinionated about my cigars. Illusione is one of my favorites of the all time. Dion over there um, was kind enough to let me pick and choose and figure out a cigar that I love in the blend. And here we are. How do you know what blend to use? Like, do you know the the ingredients? I'm just such a dummy that I simply go by taste. This is the draw that I want. I want an easy, smooth draw. Uh, I want a really great flavor that has a little hazelnut, a little, you know, a little coffee, a little despair, a little bit, you know, you know what I mean? So you told them that you didn't go into like a lab with Bunsen burners and smell things and like next and walk down an aisle or something like that. You just gave them adjectives and they matched you. Yeah, we indeed. We, we, We talked about it and trial and error. And, you know, here we are. Um, so are those, are going to put them on your website for sale? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, you should. Absolutely. They will, they will be available. The J- After shows, sell those. Yes. The J, the J Piv Robusto. Yeah. Yes. How you live in J Piven. I'm surprised yeah. more people haven't done that with weed. Like have like a joint named after him. I know like the Jane Silent Bob have theirs and then yeah. Friday from the movie Friday. Right. How does Snoop not have his own line of weed? Yeah. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah. Right. He does, I believe. Maybe. I that- he probably smoked it all. They were like, they kept trying to. He was like, bow, wow, wow. It's all gone, motherfuckers. That was so dumb. Please. <laughs> so, Bill, we were just talking about mushrooms. Yes. I'm sitting here with the great Bill Dawes, and we're, we're on tour together. And, and you have extensive experience with mushrooms. Well, I started like a beginning of the pandemic was my first trip on mushrooms. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I like when I go into things, I go, I go fucking deep. I'm like a Heath Ledger, Christian Bale method actor with my substances. When I do it, when I commit to it, 
because I grew up a nerd. I was like, I don't want to destroy brain cells. But once I fucking commit to it, I was like, you know what? I don't want to go to church or synagogue or read a book anymore. Yeah. Mushrooms, psychedelics. I want like I want like shortcuts to transform where I don't have to actually do work, but can still be painful. You know what I'm saying? That's you just that's everyone right yeah. now. I don't really want to do the work. I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to go inward. I don't want to actually do any meditation and work for it and see my thoughts and recognize that they are not my own and let them go past yeah. and be present. I want a foreign substance yes. that is organic to be put into my body and then please give me the insight. Yeah, you don't want to do that from getting from deep breathing for a, a week in an ashram or in a yurt or something like that. You don't want to commit to a lifestyle. You just want the thing that you can take and then tell your friends, guys, I did the best mushrooms. Changed my life, bro. But that being said, mushrooms are incredible. Oh, man. Changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did they change your life? Well, the first thing, I think that anyone who does psychedelics in general, in the right way, there's a great book called, by a Michael Pollan called uh, How to Change Your Mind. And he started doing mushrooms and psychedelics in his 60s. He did like the Omnivore's Dilemma, all these food books. But he decided, he's like a journalist. He started doing the psychedelic journey. And he really like breaks down like what the fuck is going on and why is it why is it so important? And what everyone says is at the end of the day, you realize that it's really just about love and empathy. Like there's love, empathy, compassion, and there's literally nothing else. The rest is just noise. And you can think that as like a read a Buddhist book or think it as an idea, but you actually get to to live in it and feel it while you're on mushrooms, if you're in a good place with mushrooms. Yeah. If you're not, your sweaters are jumping out of you from the closet and you want to kill yourself. But like, or you're just getting really sad. Yeah. Yeah. That. And sometimes it's good to be sad because it means you need to be sad about something. Sometimes there's shit you need to be sad about that you haven't been and you're deflecting or putting it off or avoiding. Yeah. There's nothing like sitting around with a bunch of people while you're sobbing like a grandmother. <laughs> That's fun. Um, I, I've had so many interesting experiences with mushrooms. For whatever reason, they came into my life, you know, in my 20s. I, I had a theater company a million years ago called The New Criminals. And we would all get together and take mushrooms. And I remember we, we got the rights. We were the first people to get the rights from Hunter Thompson to Fear and Loathing Las Whoa. Vegas. And the way that we got the rights was we had to go to his ranch in Woody Creek. <laughs> And we had to pass his all of his tests, whatever he's got. So I went out there with Cusack and a guy named Steve Pink, who's a brilliant writer, director. Yeah. And um, we got to spend time with the big man, and he put us through the paces. How old was he at this point? How old was he? Yeah. Um, you know, Hunter, um, Hunter. I don't know much about his late life. Was he doddering? Was he just kind of like always with it, and then he was dead? He was, at this point, he was very vital and very much Hunter. Um, there's something that's very kind of timeless about him. I couldn't tell you if he was 50, 60, or 70. Yeah. But he was yelping, running around his kitchen with a high-powered rifle and <laughs> amped up on a great deal of blow that he snorted out of a hockey puck. And <laughs> and he just, you know, he was everything that I hoped he Yeah, exactly. You know, he invented gonzo journalism as we know it. Um, Which led to gonzo porn and... Good one. Way to go, Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting jump, Bill. And, you know, the mushrooms have just kicked in for you. So you're, it's a fucking truth machine at this point. Um, I just remember being in over my head. You know, I'm a guy that, like, you know, didn't grow up doing a, any real man made drugs. So that's the first time you did mushrooms. 
at and, this place. And, and, and blow. I did so much. Oh, you combined them. I did so much blow that I forgot how to swallow. I didn't know how to like breathe. I couldn't. My heart was racing. It was about to explode. And then he goes, he, finally, we had been with him for three straight days, right? Holy shit. Yeah, man, it was heavy. And the first thing is like, oh, yeah, I need you to steal a car, was the first thing he said. And we were like, yes, whatever, <laughs> yes, Hunter. Because we, we want, he's- Anything, anything, he's, he's a legend. He's a, just, a, just a, a, a genius. You know, we'd, we'd all read everything and we want the rights. So you whatever you want us to do. And he wanted us to steal Don Henley's uh, convertible. <laughs> You know, and boys, so, a summer car, take exactly. it exactly. And there we are. And um, his fiance at the time stopped us and was like, no, no, you don't understand. And then he's like, no, you have to get me one of those high powered cameras. I want to be able to see, you know, a bug from 500 feet. You know, uh, well, yes, let's get you a camera. And we, we went through all this and, he, and then he took us outside and we were with his clay pigeons and we were just firing off guns amped up on every drug possible. And he like, you he pull, pull the thing back shoot, and it would shoot off clay pigeon, fire, pull. And he fucking, yeah. and he went, he, and it hit him in his leg. He was like, oh, you evil bastard. And he's like, well, <laughs> God damn it. And he thought we did it. And he was screaming at us and pointing oh and paranoid. And it was just an incredible ride. And at one point he said, um, if you read this, um, flawlessly, right now, I'll give you the rights to fear and loathing. As a scene with you and John, or just like a monologue? It was a monologue. It had, um, it was a, an, it was a a monologue. You know, uh, we were somewhere around Barcelona when the drugs began to take hold. I remember saying something like, "You take the wheel," like, and it had no punctuation and just <laughs> pages of dialogue. And I'm sitting there going, I, "It's me." I and I, but I forgot how to swallow or breathe cotton mouth, and it yeah. felt like someone had poured like 16 pounds of kitty litter in my fucking mouth <laughs> and i'm like this is my moment and i can't speak thank god steve pink the brilliant steve shout out to brilliant steve pink grabbed it he's a political science major from berkeley big meat bubble very smart gentleman and he just ripped into it perfectly <laughs> and we got the rights and wow. we, we did the American premiere of, of Fear and Loathing as a play. Wow. And I'm playing Hector Azeda Acosta, his his attorney, and John Cusack's brother, Bill Cusack, played Hunter brilliantly. And, um, you know, we did it and we had such a blast and it was incredible. And um, it was interesting because they, unbeknownst to me, they were filming it every night. Or, you know, I, I kind of knew, but you, I don't know. We didn't know what was happening back then. We're in yeah. Chicago. We're, we're doing our thing. And um, they, I remember, you know, took the footage and used it ultimately. And then Cass Benicio in my part and Johnny Depp. Oh, they used that footage to make the film. But you got no money from that or any of the rights. Oh, of right course there. not. Of course not, because I'd just be, that'd be too fair and egalitarian. Mm. It's not about that, man. It's like, you know nothing in life is fair. We know that. No, literally. And I learned that very early on. I was very Yeah, thankful. a good time to do it when you're in Chicago doing theater for the love of the art and then some Hollywood comes like, ah, we're taking it. You get nothing. Not even a fucking special thanks in the IMDb. No, nothing. But but you know what? That was, that. that's the way life is. And that's yeah. the way Hollywood is. And, and I don't blame anyone. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's all it's 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 completely all part of it. But you said you did that was the first time you did mushrooms though. 
Mm-hmm. First of all, it took three days for you to close the deal. <laughs> like the next day, like we do another day. Of this all this fucking blow and drugs. Okay, here we go. Yeah. The day two. I mean, I. It was just. It was. We we experience our own fear and loathing. And, yeah. And you know you know tune in, freak out, get beaten. Let's go. You know, take the ride. Um, and we took the ride, and it was incredible. And he's a genius. And did you come see it? God no. rest his soul. He really can't fly. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Except couldn't fly. Mind. Ralph Steadman that does all of his sketches. He came and saw it. And, and, um, you know, I, I w- was raised, but both my parents are directors, teachers, actors, and they were my acting teachers from the time I was a kid. And my mom came and saw closing night and, and our theater company closing night. We just, you know, it's just like a tradition. You just, everything you got die on your shield, nothing left. And my character doesn't get naked until just before the first act break. And I submerge myself in water and beg Hunter to throw in the toaster and electrocute me because I'm amped up on five sheets of high powered blotter acid and I have war paint on um, and I'm holding a huge machete. Um, And because it was the last show you're trying to you're just going for everything and at one point the entire set got caught on my wardrobe (laughs) and i started walking around with the entire set dragging it (laughs) and then took off my clothes and my mom left got up and left and my mom is you know a great supporter and has always been incredible i bring yeah I, i tell stories about her on stage i run lines i do lines no i run yeah. lines with her uh to this day and um and i said mom why did you leave and she looked at me and she goes watching you on stage was like watching someone try to uncork an uncorked bottle wow she, my head's exploding right now <laughs> yeah it just it was too much she yeah. said it was too much it was too much i couldn't watch it and like you know that's that's where we were at we were just going for yeah. like everything you possibly hadn't you know i remember just being on my hands and knees just like it was you're so exhausted but you give everything you have yeah. to those performances everything and, and i feel like chicago in particular has that has a very like physical visceral sense of theater like john malkovich and steppenwolf they're all everyone's getting in headlocks and they're all strangling each other on stage. It's like a lot of like, f- like manly, physical, like blue collar Chicago shit going on. You know what I mean? Completely. Um, yeah. One of my first inspirations was my father was working with Malkovich, and he took me to see the original production True of West. True West in a, in a ba- in a basement for the five people who know what the fuck we're talking about right now. Yeah, it's just a, a brilliant play, and Malkovich was a genius, and it was incredibly inspiring and. Uh, yeah, this is the part where people are like, "Isn't <laughs> yeah, what, what about? Isn't Jason you have Bateman fighters doing smart, on? Talk about beating Can people we just up. Switch channels. I need to. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. How you live in J. Piven will be right back after we pay some bills. Big news in shoes. Rothy's is now selling men's sneakers and men's driving loafers. Really comfortable. They look great and they're insanely comfortable. Even more big news. They just launched premium Merino wool shoes for the fall. Merino wool is nature's perfect material. Soft, comfortable, machine washable, sustainable. I wear them when I travel because some guys, you see them, they're wearing flip-flops and shorts. They're not, I don't know what in God's name these people are doing. Do they know that they've left the house? You want to look good and be comfortable. Get the Rothies. 
If that wasn't enough, Rothy's just launched their first ever collection of accessories for men. Wallets, carry bags, card cases. Rothy has all your everyday carry essentials. To help you welcome fall season in style, Rothy's is doing something special. They gave us the chance to share this super rare opportunity with our listeners for a limited time. Right now, you can get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash P-I-V-E-N Piven. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Piven. Get $20 off your first purchase, you guys. Head to rothys.com slash Piven to find your new favorites today. I have not been a businessman uh, for most of my life, and finally I've, I've thrown my hat in the ring, and it's not easy. Um, trying to figure this stuff out, doing it yourself is next to impossible. But if you've got a small business, you know there's nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. All right, so that you can take that valuable time and put it to good use. Save time and money with stamps.com. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing office postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. Just get after it. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines, no mess, no madness. You're not gonna crack. Take a deep breath, you got this. There is no risk, all right, none. And with my promo code PIVIN, you get a special offer that includes four weeks of trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts, all right? Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, right there, well done, and type in PIVIN. That's stamps.com, promo code PIVEN, P-I-V-E-N. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. So psychedelics, yes. mushrooms, but we talked about this. We haven't done the other ones. The other, I guess there's a scale of, there's acid, which I've never done, which some people, you have the people who are like, no mushrooms, and then people are like, no acid. And then, but I feel like, the thing about acid, and this is definitely like CIA propaganda back in the 60s, but like you can have an acid trip and just fucking stay there. Right. I do think that's true. I don't think that's true with mushrooms. Well, I mean, there's a huge variable that you're not talking about. I mean, you're talking about man-made synthetic drugs versus yeah. organic, you know, plant medicine, and they're very, very different yes. indeed. Um, I, I, I love mushrooms and... Um, I love doing them. I, I I I hear so much. I mean, I've been doing Mike Tyson's podcast, and he takes handfuls of mushrooms and just gobbles them down. And while he has a mouth full, full of mushrooms, says, "You know, it's basically a microdose." And I'm like, "For an <laughs> elephant, for a, an adult elephant," and he just fucking navigates on them because he's Mike Tyson, and you know it works for him. Um, I he also swears by the toad. You know, yeah. there are people that say, like, your life will never be the same once you do the toad. Yeah. And I need to do it the toad. The, the Michael Pollan book, he talks a lot about that. Apparently, this is what a lot of people who do the toad say. You don't lick the toad. That's the, the euphemism. Like, yeah. I guess you, like, squeeze the toad. You get scared. It jizzes its juice on this glass pane. And then you, like, freeze it overnight. And then you light, like, a free, ba free basing. You make it sound so attractive. So attractive, though. yeah. And it's basically toad puke. Um, 
But what they say they experience is they, they literally experience the creation of the universe. They witness the Big Bang. And you get like really cynical, scientifically minded people who go, bullshit. And they do it like, oh, yeah, you see the Big Bang. You get to witness the creation of the universe. That's what happens in those 15 minutes. It's a similar journey for a lot of people. Same way with DMT, a lot of people hear a woman's voice, like leading them, come over here. Which is, you know. I mean, it's been a part of mythology. Are you going to kiss a prince? Are you going to kiss a frog? So they were probably talking about the toad yeah. from back in the day, right? Yeah. But why is it from a toad you can witness the Big Bang? I mean, why? Here's my theory. Okay. Because I believe in God. I'm assuming you believe in God. Yes. Your mother would be very disappointed if you didn't. Yeah. I think like when you make a video game, you leave Easter eggs. You know what I mean? Just to show like that first game in Atari Adventure, they had the little microchip. And we show who created it. Like God left Easter eggs for us to figure out the nature of reality and the nature of our existence and the meaning of our existence. Yeah. I think weed is one of them. Yeah. I think ayahuasca. Mm. I think these fucking snoring desert toads are one of them. It's like, here's I'm giving you little clues along the way. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the stoned ape theory. Some Joe, Joe Rogan talks about his podcast name drop. I don't even know Joe, but um. Stoned ape theory is that when we were human, were we humanoids? Is that what we were? When we were whatever the fuck we were, when we were in the trees. Yeah. When we came down, we had a track across plains. We tracked animals like elephants and giraffes. And when giraffes shit to this day, magic mushrooms grow from their shit. Mm. So there's an idea because the human size of the human brain like jumped four times in like 200,000 years, which apparently is scientifically very weird. So apparently these fucking apes walking on the plains were taking magic mushrooms and it that was the birth of like geometry and like symmetry and math and everything based on that. I think there's something to that because humans are just too stupid to figure it out without some cheats. Everyone needs a cheat code. But one of the things that I do notice about plant medicine is it, I mean, if you, if you just from, from the basics, we use 10% of our brain. So they don't put anything into our system that isn't already there. Yeah. So then does it just unlock the rest of our brain and we are capable of understanding the Big Bang yeah. and, and seeing the life and movement. Like you see like, oh my God, I can see the, that tree is breathing. Like, would we be able to see that, but just in our 10% conscious, you know, um, slave to our thoughts and fears and doubts, we don't see that. Yeah. And then this plant medicine just opens us up to more. Yeah. And then there's also the idea of like confirmation bias, which is if, if you have this drug that's supposed to like change the meaning of the universe to you, your brain's like, what is the meaning of the universe? Your brain will find a way to create the Big Bang to explain the sensation. Does that make sense? No, say that again. I, my, I, I'm using, <laughs> mushrooms I'm, are kicking out now. I'm but basically, like, basically people tell 2 you mushrooms are supposed to make you feel this way or this, this drug is supposed to make you understand life differently your brain will automatically go into like, like a machine, like what, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? So when you have this, when your brain gets washed with this drug, it goes, it goes to the imagine, imagination of what that would be. So it just unlocks your imagination in a way that you're not fully conscious of. That's one theory too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's a good transition for the fact that we're incredibly lucky that we get to play with our imaginations, you mm -hmm. know, that everyone should do that for the love of God. Yeah. I think everyone should. Now, for you as an actor and a stand-up, people always ask, like, what would you choose, right? So if you had to give up one, you'd probably, you'd probably give up stand-up, right? 
Well, you know what's you know what's interesting. It's a it's a perfect question for this moment in my life because um, I I've been so lucky that I get to explore both arenas. And recently, I've been you know doing back to back movies and have stayed away from stand up because I've been on set for longer than I've ever stayed away in my life. And so, just last night, I was really nervous at how rusty I was. And what, what I found fascinating on stage was that um, one definitely informs the other. And I was on stage, and some variables were going on that would have, even a year ago, gotten in my way, and I wouldn't have been able to be totally present and and um, interacting with the audience because, as, as the great stand-up say, it's it's a dialogue and not a monologue. Yeah. So I was having those moments with the audience and it was informing bits and blah, blah, blah. And God, do I sound pretentious right now? <laughs> but I'm just, I'm gonna keep going. Um, for whatever reason, um, I guess, yes, I was rusty, but performing and acting and doing scenes with, you know, Terrence Howard and everyone that I was working with um, led me to really be even more present for the stand-up yeah and i had a, a a good set when i thought i was gonna suck yeah so you know i that's a very tough question because i i'm uh, you know i've been on stage acting since i was eight years old and um stand up not as long so it's for me not a fair i i don't know how to answer that question because as a stand-up, you're the singer-songwriter, and it yeah, all exactly. comes from you, and it's scary as hell and amazing, and the highs are so high. Oh, my God. I think this is funny, and so do you. This is amazing. We're all sharing this. So, um, you know, at this point, you know, the braver answer would be to do stand-up and to, um, you know, we had on Oscar De La Hoya, and you know, th there's a guy that has been boxing since he was five years old, retired at 37, now he's back in it. So his entire life, there's statues built after him. And I and he admitted that he was defined by his legend. Yeah. And so I, I'm not equating his, his legendary status to mine at all. I just meant that you can define yourself by a certain thing. And yes, I've been grinding my whole life as an actor. And it's hard to break away from that and go, okay, I'm going to eat shit now as mm -hmm. a stand-up, and I'm going to go to the Diamond Bomb, and I'm going to learn from it. And it's One of the things I, f I first liked about you is I saw you at the Laugh Factory, I had your notepad, you're working hard. I was like, I think I even said to you, I was like, why are you doing this? And you were like, hey, man, I get to do it. And I was like, good for you. Because some people, a lot of celebrities kind of start stand-up. It's almost like they're preparing for like a best man speech at a wedding or something. You know what I mean? They do it for like a week or for an award show. And then they disappear. They 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 scratch their itch or whatever it is. They f either they're good or they're bad. And sometimes people will do it. Great, like Mike, Michael Rosenbaum was great when he was doing it, but he did like for maybe a year, and then was just ah, okay. I got my podcast now. And then there are some people like if they if they're not doing stand up, they're literally like a junkie in their house. It's like oh, fuck, what do I do? Give me an open mic, you know. And I think you're kind of like somewhere in the middle. Like you need. You need to be live because you grew up as a theater guy. It's, yeah. it's something you need. But uh, I think you, you, you're also not addicted to the weird fucking seven day a night thing that some comics, like their life is defined by the fact that they go out and do three shows a night. Yeah. 
Well, I, I do completely get the value of of reps. And you know, when you're in New York and you can get up five times a night and that's why you can get better faster and all that. And I'm fascinated by the form. Um, and people, for the most part, they don't realize, you know, what it takes. And I'm funny. I could do that. Oh, I got a story about my uncle, dude. It'll fucking kill, bro. My friends tell me all the time I should do stand up. I'm always like, yeah, go, go do it. Because being funny at a cocktail party with your friends when you're drunk on a couple Heineken's is different than fucking crafting a set and going on stage and then doing it over and over and honing it and making it new. You know, that's a whole fucking different beast. Yeah. I think everyone should do it. Everyone should try it. Everyone should. Um, because, you know, it's and then, you know, to, to it's just been fascinating for me to see, uh, you know, different things being unlocked because, you know, I know that um, to get to that place where you're letting both your hands go yeah. and you're working on all cylinders is incredibly hard. And just because I've been on stage for 40 years doesn't mean I can do any of it. And I kind of thought, oh, I, you know, I could really jump in and, and start. It's like, man, that's there's so many different levels to it. And it's it is challenging yeah. and fascinating. Yeah. Well, you're like a UFC fighter who had like was like a, a state champion in wrestling. So you got a great base to do stand up. You know what I mean? Like you're already ahead of the curve for most of the initial UFC fighters who waste their lives doing Taekwondo. But like you were like a state champion wrestler as a, and then you got in the UFC with stand up. Does that make sense to you? You know what I'm saying? I'm really high, but I think it makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, I am so tied to my ego and I'm so, <laughs> I'm so vain that. You just heard champion. You're like, yep, that's me. Yeah. No, I, 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 you don't even want to know what's going on <laughs> in my head at, right now. It's, uh, but that's the great thing about a long form po podcast is that we can just, <laughs> you know, air it all out. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because people, people who don't know, like, I remember seeing someone seeing Chappelle and going, oh, I saw him again. And it wasn't because he was doing some of the same stuff. I'm like, you recycle material, bro. You recycle material from the other day. It's like, <laughs> yeah, even, you know, the greatest, the goat has a set. Yeah. You got to craft the set. They don't realize that it's not just all off the, off the, yeah, cuff. they just wake up like, oh, the worst thing happened at school. Yeah, whatever, with my kids and they today. Do, yeah. You do a 55 minute improv set. Yeah, every time. But I have to say, I did see Cat Williams do that and I was in complete awe. He is. He is. There's some people like that can just no get on stage. Man. Yeah, he is just a beast. Yeah, he is a beast. When was, did you see him? Was it recently? Is he back on the scene? I don't know. Ever know what's going on with him? I don't think he knows what, exactly what's going <laughs> on with him. You know what I mean? He's yeah. one of the most fascinating, eccentric dudes. Yeah, ever, and a truth machine. Um, this was about ten years ago, um, and we were. Um, at a comedy festival in in Denver, and um, I just watched him talk about his experience of of you know having you know his candles uh, yeah. and forgetting to blow them out, and the room caught on fire, and he jumped out of bed and, and jacked up his ankle, and he's he's just on painkillers, and it's a matter of time before he just loses it. So the set was also a race against time. Wow! So there was like a ticking clock, <laughs> oh my God. and 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 he was just brilliant and fascinating but you know that's decades of him working yeah. as a stand-up to be able to to do that 
Yeah. So that's, you know, it's, it's a, it, you know, that's one of the great things about it. Like any, any form, you just stay after it. You never feel like you got it. What's the hardest thing for you in terms of stand-up that you're like, this is the thing I want to master? Like, um, for me, it's like telling, telling a story, a great story, a cohesive story with enough jokes that feels like I'm just doing a stand-up bit, as opposed to like a moth storytelling show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, every aspect of it is is fascinating to me and challenging yet yeah, telling a, a story where it's not too much of anything you throw an impression in there and it's the perfect amount of spice to actually get the story across with the right amount of punchlines and blah blah and then having the patience to talk to the people in the front row and let things evolve and not yeah. rush it you know what i mean there's just i mean there's so many different ways to do it do you have a bit that's your favorite bit to do like every time you start it you're like i fucking love doing this bit it's so fun. Yeah, I mean, I I do. Um, it's it, it, the bit about witnessing an entire group of women paying a check <laughs> that I've never seen in my life before. And it was fascinating to see them go into that mode um, where they all become accountants. And it's fascinating. And they didn't know they had that degree. And I know that that particular be, that bit um, can be fleshed out and explored and heightened. And, you know, it just you, you got to just keep pushing it and keep evolving it and crafting it. And, you know, um, I remember having a conversation. I remember I was in Malibu and I was like, look at that fucking Porsche. What is that? And then I hear, get away from the car, you Jew. <laughs> Whoa. And I look what? Up, and it's Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And he was sitting with Sebastian Maniscalco. And I'm just so dumb. I decide to invite myself to sit with them. I don't even ask them. I didn't go over and go, hey, man, it's so cool if I sit with you guys. I just go and sit with them. Um, because I guess, I don't know, who knows why. But I, you know, I do feel connected to Jerry, I guess, because I, I, I believe it or not, I played, you know, George. George, that's right. And the Seinfeld people, maybe people don't know that. But yeah, and, yeah. and Seinfeld, you played Jason Alexander, mm -hmm. which is a stretch looking at you now. It's a stretch looking at me then or at any point, um, <laughs> but it was an honor to join the Beatles and I didn't know they were the Beatles because yeah. I didn't have a TV. Did I ever tell you this story? Yeah. I was living in the pool house and I was a series regular. I was playing the head writer on the Larry Sanders show with Gary Shandling, which basically was a thing that kind of kicked off original programming at HBO. Yeah. And it was seminal, um, yeah. Yeah, it was an incredible show. And Gary, God rest his soul, was an absolute genius. And it was about the backstage life of a talk show host. And I was the head writer, and I played him as if he just really lived in fear of that he didn't think he was funny. So he was always kind of paranoid. It was it was just a, a great role and I loved it. And I ran into Mark Hirschfeld, who's the casting director of Seinfeld in the parking lot. And he said, would you, Jeremy, I never, would you want to audition for Seinfeld? And I was like, yes. And um, um, not even thinking, oh yeah, I'm a regular on this other TV show. Yeah. Can, do you even have the time to do another TV show? But I'm a stage actor from Chicago. So like someone gives you an opportunity and like, yes, please. Um, and was Seinfeld a huge hit yet? Yes. It was already. Mm -hmm. Cause now it took a couple of seasons for it to kind of like really land. And I lied to them and told them I had seen the show. <laughs> and I'd never seen the show. 
but I'd run into Jason in the parking lot a few times. And so I did my Jason Alexander impersonation and they were like, you must be such a big fan of the show. And I said, yes, <laughs> I am. And it was better for me that I didn't know how brilliant the show was and and that they were the Beatles because yeah. I just was on set with them and they were so kind and cool and I just had an incredible time and I'll never forget it. And then smash cut to Jerry Seinfeld saying, get away from my car, you Jew. <laughs> and I just start talking to Jerry and, and Sebastian and I look at Sebastian and I was like, oh my God, Sebastian, I, I just saw you at the comedy store. You've killed it. And it was the first time I'd seen Sebastian and he is he's so in his body mm -hmm. and he just is is in such control and i'm such a fan of that and it was he used every part of his body mm -hmm. and i just was blown away by his work and so i was just like fanboying out over him you know climbing over jerry to get to sebastian you know um and jerry goes you know what are you doing now and i was like oh i'm in london playing mr selfridge it's a costume drama and he goes that sounds terrible <laughs> and uh he meant it yeah he really meant it I'm you sure know I, I love i love his honesty um and from his point of view and i get his point of view now he gets to write and create all of his show and it's such freedom and he has balance and this beautiful family mm -hmm. and i'm on set for 14 hours in a, in a turn of the century costume yeah. saying someone else's lines yeah you know what i mean and that's all i knew and i loved it and was honored and now i have a different perspective i almost want to have a conversation with him yeah. now because i i get what he was talking about now what's interesting because as for one of the most successful tv actors of all time he gives a shit about acting. Admittedly, he's like, eh, it was okay. You know, it was like, he doesn't really care about acting, the art of acting or the craft of acting. Admittedly, he's just kind of like, yeah, I was all right. I was serviceable. But he never really was like, I got to really fucking be the best me I can possibly be today. You know, he's like, what are the jokes? I'll say them with a half smile on my face. So you know, I'm really not that serious about the fucking world I'm in. And people love that. It, it all worked. It all worked for that show. Yeah. Um, everyone on that show was just perfect. And Did Jason I, Alexander ever talk to you after seeing your performance of him? Did you ever go, hey? The next time we saw each other, we were literally doing the school play together. I kid you not. My niece Pearl and I were doing King Lear. <laughs> and he was doing something brilliant. He's an amazing force. And he was brilliant with his daughter. You know, leave it leave it to a Hollywood school to have like <laughs> that's daddy daughter day. Is he can do fucking King Lear and yeah. yeah. And I remember my my sister goes, "Can you do the school play with Pearl?" And I was like, "Sure, sure, whatever you want." Um, but just so you know, I literally just wrapped Mr. Selfridge in London. I just want to take a beat. You know, I was in every scene. I'm carrying the show, and I just whatever. If it, it just you know if it can have like just not a ton of dialogue to memorize for the moment. And she gives me the most dense of all of Shakespeare's works. You know what I mean? It's like, and I remember turning to Pearl, my sister kind of walked away for a second and Pearl looks at me and she goes, do you think this is fun for me? That's what she said to me. Yeah. And Pearl, um, I hate Pearl. Has she ever thought you were cool? Did Pearl ever Never. go like, man, uncle Jeremy, He's fucking cool. Never would she. She 
There has never been a time when she hasn't looked at me and rolled her eyes ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. I, she said to me, I've been trying to impress her. I gave up. But let me just tell you a couple things I did to try to impress her because it's so fucking pathetic. Uh, I knew that she was a huge fan of Jamie Foxx. Yeah. So I said, yeah, I'm going to Jamie's Christmas party. And for the first time, she turned to me. Now I'm interesting. She goes, you know, Jamie Foxx. I go, yeah. She goes, no, you don't. I go, no, I, he's having a Christmas party. You want to come? She goes, Ava. And she got her little red-haired freckle friend, Ava. And they both put on their sparkly dresses. And and I drove them to Jamie's house. And as we get to Jamie's house, in the rain, took us, he's, he's in Galapasas up a hill. He lives in a mansion. He's a celebrity space shuttle. It literally yeah. hovers across <laughs> over the world. And he, he sings renditions of Ray. It's amazing. And we get to the door. And she looks at me and she goes, is he going to be awkward the way you are? <laughs> And he opened the door and it was him. And then they were like, Jeremy, we are so overdressed. And I go, oh, no, hold on. I go, Jamie, uh, he goes, what's up, man? I go, the girls feel they're overdressed. <laughs> they're overdressed. Do you have anything? He goes, oh, well, come on, man. And he takes us into his closet. And it was kind of like a combination of the great Gatsby mm -hmm. and Willy Wonka. He just had <laughs> stacks of Nikes up to the ceiling. Yeah. You know, and they, and he just was so kind, like whatever they wanted. And they're like, wearing all of Jamie's clothes and kids are there and we're having the time of our lives. You're like, I win. I'm the best uncle of all time. Not, never a mention <laughs> about that party. Smash cut to now I'm prepping for a movie with my sister um, in which I'm playing a tap dancer and every producer I've ever pitched that to, that's the moment where they get up and leave. <laughs> like literally I said, go Jewish tap dancer. They go, is there a check? Can we get a check? <laughs> you know? So I've been tapping, as you know, my ass off for years preparing for this moment. <laughs> so I'm in my sister's kitchen recently and we got the DP there and he's got this, this interesting camera. That's just, uh, it, it's, it, it was the little handheld thing. We're going for some grainy, stuff and i'm on the floor and i'm doing the splits you know what i mean because we're doing this one beat where where my character harold is having a moment which by the way your splits it's pretty impressive you can do the fucking splits just because i'm 200 years old that's the only reason <laughs> i fucking pull my integrity every time I no do. you're just you're just not a gay man in his 20s so it's just impressive but listen aren't we all deep down anyway correct <laughs> so i'm in the splits pearl walks in and the look of horror. I'm on the floor with a stranger filming me. I'm in the splits in her kitchen. It's her worst nightmare. <laughs> so no, Uncle Jeremy is not cool at all. With any other attempts to try to like but redeem by, yourself? But by the way, cool? but by the way, no, I've given up. Yeah. But by the way, her dad, who wrote and directed Talladega Night, Step Brothers, you know, okay. the other guys, um, every great comedy with Will Ferrell you've ever seen and then decides to do drama and goes, oh, I'm going to do drama, a little movie called um, The Big Short, wins yeah. the Oscar. They are thoroughly under, uh, not impressed with their dad. Yeah, of course not. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like I'm, I'm in good company in terms of not being interesting to them at all. Yeah. I mean, also it's it's a different generation and, and Shira's like, look, you know, they there's a lot going on with them they've got a lot of stuff happening and what are they that 13 what's the age is it kind yeah of like right right or, weird right around there age. you know they all start losing their minds yeah it's it's just just post bat mitzvah and you know they're going through a lot of stuff and we had therapy when we were kids it was called clean your fucking room <laughs> yeah you piece of shit that was our therapy so times have changed yeah so they literally go to therapy is it like art like what do you talk about when you're 13 
Like, what's the thing? Like, oh my God, in school today, this girl Megan gave me the dirty look and I was so mad. And like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what you talk about. You're going to go to the heart of darkness about your parents and how they didn't raise you correctly when you're 13. You don't even know what the fuck is going on. Listen, I can't, I just remember to give you a, some perspective on us versus them. I remember in fifth grade running past a group of girls and they were voting on who they liked. And what do you, what do you guys think about Jeremy? And like, I, I wasn't, I didn't test thing. very well. You know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't, yeah. And, you know, to see how people, you know, feel about you and it hurts. You know, imagine them with social media Jesus. and all that. Can you imagine growing up in these times? Mm -mm. So have some empathy. No, Bill, it's, it's actually fucking true. fucking sociopath. No, you're it's a sociopath, true. bro. How can have some become, empathy for children. <laughs> how can you become like a normal, compassionate person with fucking social media when it's literally all about the sugar rush of clicks? It's all it's about. Yeah. We need that dopamine, don't mm -hmm. we? We absolutely do. And, and, and it never changes. As adults, we're still fucking doing it. Well, they've also got the greatest minds and they put them together to figure out how to hook us. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Same thing with video games. Like they, they trick your mind into thinking that you're actually, like your brain doesn't know the difference between what you're doing in the video game and what you're doing in real life. You have the same reactions if you get shot, same chemicals get fired in your brain. So they figure it out. They've, like, they've got us in the matrix fully locked and loaded, man. I will say there, there was, I, I kind of understood that early on, and I knew I took one look at video games and even, even like pinball. Yeah, that's how old I am. Okay, <laughs> I have the retro. Yeah, I lived it. Um, I just knew that if I were to start that, it would be a, a slippery slope. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you're like no pong for me. I'm done. Yeah, no, just just beer pong. <laughs> that's it. That's absolutely it. How You Live in J. Piven is a cast original podcast in association with Common Enemy and Tenderfoot TV. Producer is Kyle Tequila. Theme song by Common. Executive producer for cast is Harley Roman. Executive producers for Tenderfoot TV are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Executive producers for Common Enemy are Jared Einson and Dave Osco. Catch all new episodes of How You Live in J. Piven every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Oh.